Okay, so um, if you want to put your hands together, I'd like to introduce to you my brother, uh, Cameron Watt. Cameron Watt. Cam, come on down. Come on down, bro. Is your mic on? Yes. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Most people say something to see if it's on. He's like, yeah, it's on. Okay, all right. Um, Cam, Cam, so uh, are, you, are you a local boy? Uh, I sort of, yeah, Kings Langley, so I'm about 15 minutes away. Very nice. Where are you from originally? Uh, Ballina, uh, so the far north coast of New South Wales. Ballina, so you're a country boy. Is, is, do they have, like, electricity there? <laughs> I'm, I'm just asking. It sounds, it sounds like a country town. Like I don't know, but, you know, hope, <laughs> hopefully, know. Hope, hopefully New Zealand will get Wi-Fi soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. So, so from Ballina, yep. um, uh, you are one of how many siblings? I have three older sisters, which was not good as a youngster. <laughs> not good as a youngster. Um, are you from a Christian home? No, I, I'm from a church-going home. So my mum my used to take us along to church, uh, but it wasn't until I actually saw my dad become a Christian at 15 that I became a Christian because I saw that there was more to being a Christian than just being good and going to church and not swearing and those sorts of things. Oh, that's very cool. So, so how, did, how did the move from Ballina to Sydney take place? Uh, end of high school, came down to do university, uh, met my future wife at the church I was attending and uh, did university and then we got married and... Very uh, cool. Yep. How long have you been married for now? It is... Coming up to 21 years in December. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yes. Yeah. That's always, it always deserves a round of applause. I mean, where commitment is looked at so trivially, the, the fact that you've got a brother, anyone that lasts over 20 years is a real blessing. So thank you very much for that. Um, children? Uh, four children. Uh, Chloe is 18. Josiah is 16. Abigail is 14. And Noah is 10. Wow. Wow. And I've... Actually, I've seen, yeah, actually, it's really funny seeing your kids from when they were little, yeah. like babies, and now they're all growing up now. That's, yeah. that's insane. Um, so, I guess my last question is, so as a, how have you found it being a Christian parent raising children in 21st century Australia? Uh, look, uh, the hard thing was, I, I used to be uh, a pastor, now I work in a school in the chaplaincy team, but I, I think the hard thing for kids is... Everyone just expects a lot of their life reflected in like what the, the dad and the mum are like. And so I've been really proud of my children um, that they've taken on a faith of their own rather than them just relying on, okay, well, dad's a Christian, mum's a Christian. So, but, but that being said, you know, they still, they still face every temptation and suffering and all of that but it's really cool seeing them growing in their faith and them actually sitting down with me going dad i don't i don't know how to do this i yeah. don't know how to do it that's cool that's cool um my, one last question bro one last question um so what are you as an individual uh passionate about what are you passionate about it's actually the the work that i do now i've shared it with a few people that um that i've spoken to this morning i love the fact that I get to speak about Jesus to teenagers. But more than that, I'm, I'm really so passionate about um, just bringing the gospel into their world and having them go, wow, 
and seeing God moving uh, as imperfectly as I am in and through what I'm doing with them and just seeing these kids uh, come to faith is just, it's the, most, it's the most wonderful thing that I can see. That's cool. I'm, I'm going to pray for you, bro, and then I'll sit down and, and we'll hear what the Lord has to say to us through you today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for my brother Cam. I thank you for the ministry that you've entrusted him, not only as a husband and as a father, but also a chaplain in a high school. We pray, Lord, that you will bless him this morning as he shares the message that you've placed upon his heart with us and that we as your people will be sensitive to your spirit, sensitive to your truth, and obedient to your convictions. So we commit him into your hands now. Please use him as your mouthpiece. Anoint his, anoint his lips so he might speak powerfully your word to your people this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Uh, now I do have to say uh, I, I had a memory stick with a PowerPoint that I was going to bring with me and I was turning from Windsor Road onto uh, Showground Road and went, oops, it's at home. Uh, so uh, I, do, I do just want to read quickly for you. It would have been wonderful up on the big screen and you would have been able to just see it there. But I do want to read for you uh, Philippians chapter 3, uh, 1 to 14. So if you have a Bible, keep that open because that's what we're going to be going through. Um, all right. Further, my brothers and sisters, chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ." the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize 
for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now I need to tell you a little bit about myself before we get into this. Uh, when I was two years of age, I fell from a second story balcony and I landed on cement head first. Uh, if, you are, if you are well and truly close enough, you can see I have a scar that goes up and around like that. Uh, but that, that wasn't just the bad part about it. All of, all of the follow-on things that happened with it, the neurosurgery and everything, I've actually been physically dead three times, being brought back to life. Uh, as part of that, I suffered a stroke. Uh, when, I, when I hit the right side of my forehead, I lost the left side of my body for three months. Praise the Lord, it all came back and just occasionally my arm goes like that. I'm just joking, it doesn't. <laughs> but I also suffered a cerebral hemorrhage. Uh, in those days, the way that they dealt with a cerebral hemorrhage was they drilled into the back of your head. And if you want to feel that, you can. But that'd be weird. But you can if you want. And, and I also suffered a heart attack as part of the um, part of the shock of everything that happened. Now you would think that that's enough accidents for me, but no. Lo and behold, just about uh, a year and a half to two years later, uh, I had a really bad burning incident. In uh, burns, if you know anything about the body, if you work in anything to do with medicine, they break the body up into nine percentile things. So like your arm is nine percent, this is nine percent, nine these, there's 27, 27, it's all of that sort of stuff. That's how they do it. So to 45% of my body, I had second and third degree burns. How did that happen? Uh, I was uh, in, in the old days, uh, we used to have these basins a little bit like what you've got in your laundry right now. And that's what they used to bathe kids in. That's how, they, that's how we used to do that. Um, we were on gas hot water. Now back then gas hot water was heated uh, to about 95 to 100 degrees depending on where you lived. And yes, we did have electricity in Ballina. But uh, the, the problem for that was uh, that's obviously very, very hot on a young child's skin. And um, I was in the basin and funnily enough, my mum was actually facing the other way, putting the shower on for my eldest, si eldest sister so she wouldn't get burnt as she got into the shower. And I kept reaching up and turning on the tap. Mum turned around, kept, no, stop it, Cameron. Okay, she'd turn back around, do I'd turn it on again. No, Cameron. So then I thought, well, I'm assuming this is what I thought. Maybe it's the other tap that I should use. And so I turned on the other tap. Uh, the other tap obviously was hot. And with gas hot water, it's instant hot water. So I just put my hands straight up like this and just went silent. Um, now I've got second and third degree burns all over my arms and all down my chest. Um, they tell me, uh, and I understand this, that second degree burns are worse than third degree burns. Because third degree burns, you actually completely singe the nerve ending, so you don't feel the pain. Whereas second degree burns, you do. And... Uh, 
apparently my mother had to be in the ambulance with me, hold my arms back as we went to the hospital because I was actually pulling away my skin because it hurt so much, like literally pulling it away. Now, I went into hospital for that, got flown down here to Sydney, um, and uh, by the time I was five years of age, I'd actually spent more time in hospital than out of hospital. Uh, It did not stop. I could give you a plethora of things that have occurred with me. Uh, In the the head injury one, uh, it will become quite plain to you if you are anywhere near me that my right eye is skewed. The reason for that is is that I tore a little line in my uh, spinal cord and spinal fluid leaked out and they couldn't tell because my head was all wrapped up from doing the surgery that it was damaging my optic nerve. It's, very, it's, a, it's a handy thing though at, at some points because sometimes when I'm preaching, I have people who go, well, you just kept looking at me and I felt really <laughs> convicted. And then I try and work out where they were sitting and then I work out they were over here somewhere. I was never really looking at them. They just felt that I was. But uh, I, I, I've broken my thumb. My right thumb was so badly broken that uh, it actually had to be completely reconstructed. They had to pull the whole bone out and search through my hand for the bone, put it all together, put it back in. It was a little, a little bit like a jigsaw puzzle, then put it back in. My thumb is the size of a 12-year-old, so I love to put them side by side. It's only a 12-year-old's thumb compared to an adult's. Uh, I got hit in the head with a golf stick from my cousin. Appreciate that. Uh, It was an accident, it really was. Um, And then, uh, yeah, Ballina, don't go there. Uh, uh, I've I've quite literally, uh, if you go through my body from head to foot, uh, in every single part of my body, I have broken bones multiple times throughout everywhere. Uh, My leg still bears a steel rod between my knee and my foot uh, holding my tibia or the shin bone uh, in place uh, with the two screws at the top and the bottom. I seem to have taught my son how to do this. He just got into a rugby league team the other day day and got tackled really badly. He now just has had a plate inserted just a week and a half ago to allow his collarbone to sort of be in the right position. I'm teaching him lots of things. Jesus is just one thing. How to have accidents is another. But the reason that I say that is because accidents led me to feeling like very unwelcomed or unworthy or something like that with other people. I had scars everywhere. I had a, I had a skewed right eye. And I quite often cried out at God, even before I was a Christian, why God did you allow this to happen? Why me? Why, I mean, surely I've had more than my quota of accidents, God. You can stop now. And so what it led me to do was to feel like I needed to be successful for people to feel like I was someone that they wanted to hang out with. Now, I was doing pretty well at school, but I didn't love school, but I ended up doing pretty well. But what I really did try and work hard at is playing sport. 
And so I thought the way that I will have people go, wow, you're really acceptable and love, we love you because you're the best sportsman. So I pretty much did every sport that's known to man in a schooling context. But I got really, really good at it. Every single normal state uh, school sport that you can go to in terms of athletics, cross country and the swimming, I went to state for all of them, every single one. In fact, in my running, I went to the Pan Pac Games, the Pan Pacific Games and uh, was at one time Australia's fastest under 18 runner for 100 metres. Don't get me on the long stuff, I conk out really quickly. But I, I, I played rugby league. I trialled with the Penrith Panthers. Rugby union, I played first grade down here in Sydney for Gordon in what we now call the Shoot Shield. I played cricket for Parramatta, played against uh, all of the, the famous Australian cricketers in first grade here in Sydney. In soccer, I actually had Manchester City send out a scout to watch me play. I played sport at a really high level and realised no matter how high that got, that wasn't making me any more acceptable to people. And so it led through life. Uh, I got married and things seemed to be going well. And lo and behold, out of the blue, I, had, uh, I was working as an accountant. Hands up any accountants in the room? <laughs> Boring. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. She really is. Um, <laughs> but uh, working as an accountant uh, for a, a Christian organization, and, and in working for that, I, I did a naive act. However, that naive act was very, very bad. Uh, and I, I had never had a speeding fine because I remember I was this good kid that did lots of good stuff. And so uh, I, had, I had the federal police come and interview me. And I was, what? I, what have I done? And uh, worse and worse it got over a two and a half year period a three-year period, I should say, from 2001 to 2004. And then I got sent to jail. I got a two-and-a-half-year bottom sentence uh, and I served two-and-a-half years in jail, uh, both at um, MRRC and then uh, Old Silverwater. Um, and that was a really hard time for my wife, for me, for my kids. Uh, I went into jail and Abigail was three months old and it was horrific for us to, to go through that. Now, the re uh, there is a purpose for me telling you all of these things and I can tell you good things through all of those things, even in the jail. Uh, to tell you that I went in there as a really cowardly Christian and uh, God opened up a ministry for me to share with inmates and to see quite literally hundreds 
of men who are the outcasts of society become believers for me to lead guards the guards that were holding me in jail lead them to christ uh, you know i couldn't have told other christians about my faith before i went into jail but in 2002 prior to this i broke my leg I broke my leg so badly it was broken in three places. I was playing a game of soccer. As I ran along, this man jumped into the back of my calf with his, what they call, studs up into the back of my calf. Both my tibia and fibula went like that. And then because my body weight was on top of my leg and it was broken, I twisted a little bit so they did what's called a spiral fracture right up the the middle of the so sorry for all the people that get grossed out there <laughs> but after a, a lifetime at that stage of high achievement in sport it all came crashing down all of it see I'd allowed my devotion to sport at that stage become the thing that brought me joy I didn't allow God to be that person I'd allowed sport to fill what I thought was a gap now obviously God took me even lower only about a year and a half later after that to where I went into jail um but I want to look today with you at Paul's huge change from his joy being in his birthrights and his good living to it being in Christ. It leads Paul's statement of all things being a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Now I want, as I, as, I, as I say this, I want for all of us in this room, because I, I have had to do this many times for myself, thinking about the things that bring you joy. What are the things that bring you joy? And whether you can, you can repeat with Paul and say that everything else, no matter what and how good it might seem, is loss compared to knowing Christ. So I'm going to ask you this question a number of times. What would you be willing to lose to gain eternity? What would you be willing to lose to gain eternity? And I've, I've literally got just two points What things are you most proud of in life? And what will you devote yourself to in this one precious life? I recognize that as Paul starts this letter he's talking about uh, Judaizers who have come in 
to uh, try and disrupt the community. And Paul is trying to address that. And so in, in saying, he, when he fights against these people called Judaizers, what he is really doing is trying to set them apart from what is true and right worship. So as we look at this first question of what are you uh, most proud of in this life, I wonder what your go-to lines are in life. Does anyone know what your own go-to lines are? Our go-to lines are those things which display a pride in them. They don't even have to be positive things. But just things we love to tell people about ourselves. They can somewhat define us to other people. Some people will rabbit on about anything and everything and they are annoying because they just talk about everything in the world and you just want them to stop talking, right? Met those people. It's almost like they've got a sense that everything about them and life in general is really important and you need to devote yourself to just looking at them. But some people, some people talk about their job what they earn, how they own their own business, what position it is, who they work for, etc. For some people, it's their husband or their wife or their boyfriend or their girlfriend. For some people, it's their children and their grandchildren. I've come to know this, that you don't ever ask a proud parent or a grandparent about their pride and joy unless you want to give up half an hour of your life as they tell you all about Junior and how good and wonderful and beautiful he's the cutest baby ever. Oh, he is so cute. Have you seen him? What's even weirder is when people do that with their dogs. (laughs) Sad to say it, my family does that. We've got a King Charles Cavalier. <laughs> His name's Harvey. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> For some people, it's their hobbies of what they do in their spare time. You know, you're always, they're always rabbiting on about, mm, you should see me, I can surf so well now. And you're like, you can't surf. But they want to tell you how good they are at something and they just, you okay, whatever. For some people, it's their education. I'm in this really hard-to-get-into course. You wouldn't believe it. You'd never get in, but it's really hard. Or just call me, you know, Dr. Watt. You know, I've got my PhD. (laughs) Great, yeah. Or maybe it is for you, your dog or your cat, or you just just have to put another photo up on Facebook or something. It's really annoying, but anyhow, people do it. Or maybe yours is just the pride in position that you have here in the church. I get to sing out the front. Man, I am so cool. Well, my name's Pastor Joe. (laughs) I get pastor before my name, you don't. (laughs) 
or even just how you mentor someone or, or your little patch of whatever it is you look after is going so well. Oh, the group we meet with, oh man, everyone's become a Christian and oh, we're growing. So it's just this pride that you have in something that people can define you as. Oh, he's that guy. I oh, remember him. Oh, yeah. See, I intentionally talked about those three things in my life because see, for me, up till not that long ago, I've got to tell you, I had three major go-tos in life. Accidents, sporting prowess, and jail. Over time, they've got less and less attention. I only wanted to share with them with you that because I wanted to show you what I used to do and I used to focus on them. Even two of those three things aren't actually good. Like jail, obviously, it's not one of those things you bring up at a party, is it? Hey, guess what? I've been in jail. (laughs) It's not a great thing to bring up, but it defines me to other people because I then sit there and go, oh, but you should see, oh, what God did in and through. You know, but it's what defines me. Oh, you're the jail guy. No one wants that title, do they? You don't want to be the jail guy. But like me, maybe it's what makes you feel acceptable to others. If others just know about my giftedness in my sporting fields, or that my scars are so cool... Or that my jail stories are epic. Then they'll accept me and they'll like me. See, maybe for you, it's if people just knew how much I earn. Or that I have that someone special. Or look at how great my kids or my grandkids are. Or if only they knew how much I cycle each week or how clever I am, or what great car or house I've got, or even if they just knew the pain or the sickness that I deal with. Or maybe just let me show you just one more photo of little Fido. He's such a cute dog. He's sitting on my feet on the couch. Let me take a photo. Or have a look at how good I'm doing at this church stuff. I'm the drummer now. One day they'll make me the keyboard player. See, we can be tempted to spruik about those things in our life that make us unique or special, believing that they give us a value. Even if it is to these people I'm talking to for the very first time, You can speak to someone for the very first time and you will spruik something about yourself. I I, I find that men are particularly good at this. The first thing that, what do you do? First thing we ask to another, what what role do you have in life? Oh, I found someone who was just a physiotherapist. I found that out like that just then. Sadly, he said he can't help me with anything that I've got wrong with my body. 
They show a sense of pride in them, even if they're trivial or negative aspects of our life. Paul too, in his younger years, had his things in life that he would naturally rattle off so people would be impressed about who he is. If you've still got your Bibles open, have a look at verses 4 and 5. Though I myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have a reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Now, whenever I've spoken these words uh, in a school to kids, uh, I've said that to them, according to first century uh, details, this would have been a really cool set of details to have about your life. Like this, this would have made Paul like the most popular kid at Jewish school. Or the best guy to have at your party. Because he had everything most first century young Jewish boys would aspire to becoming. He had everything. So let me ask you this. Those things that are part of your life which light up your eyes when you speak about them, your go-to lines of life, things that define you to others. Do you ever think about Jesus that way? See, this makes me emotional every time I think about it because I'm so proud of so many things in my life and I, I just wish every single time the thing that my go-to line was Jesus. Is it yours? Can we be honest with ourselves and say sometimes, well, no. My role, my job, my income, my car, my whatever it is, is my go-to line. Are the things that you go to anyway something to be proud of compared to Jesus? Can they give you joy for eternity or are they just fleeting? What are the things that you are most proud of in life? And what would you be willing to lose to gain eternity? See, I hope you can be proud of the man who hung on a Roman cross for you, for your sin, to give you the biggest get-out-of-jail-free card possible. I am so proud of that part of my life. There is nothing, not even my most loved Rachel, 
that compares with Jesus. I hope in your life you're most proud of him too. So I'm going to ask you a second question. What will you devote yourself to in this one precious life? This is far more effective if I have these numbers up on screen for you, so I'm just going to say them for you. 42,129,360 minutes. 702,156 hours. 29,256.5 days or 80.1 years. That's how long males have to live on average in Australia. Women, yours is slightly more. 44,338,320 minutes, 738,972 hours, 30,790.5 days and 84.3 years. That's all the time on average in Australia you have to live. What are you devoting yourself to in this one precious life? Now, some of us in the room have used up a whole lot more of those years than others have. Some of us may not have many left. Life is flying past. It feels like just yesterday I brought Chloe home from the hospital. Now she's bought her own car, she's got her own job, and somehow, somehow, I'm in my 40s. Where did that time go? So what will you do with the remainder you've got? Whatever that number is. Will you waste your time or will you find something worthwhile to use it for? See, after all that seemingly boasting, Paul then in verse 7 changes completely. So if you've got your Bible open, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So all of that human upbringing and all of his achievements of righteousness, he considers loss. And if we're in any doubt, he ups the ante and says, beyond just his birthrights and human achievement, he then says in verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish. I actually don't want to translate that word for you from the original Greek, but it's worse than saying rubbish. It was clear that for Paul, wasting this life wasn't an option. In fact, he says he'd rather 
be with God back in chapter 1, verses 21 to 24, but because he was going to li- on living, he wanted to live a life of devotion to Christ. Are you wasting your life in devotion to the wrong things? Are there things in your life taking up your time which aren't bringing you closer to Jesus? but rather are dragging you away from him? Are there things you might need to lose now in order to gain eternity? Paul then outlines very clearly to us what it is we should be spending our time on and why. In verses 8 to 11, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain resurrection from the dead. The reason that Paul sees that everything is rubbish is because he sees their value compared to the promise of eternal life. Is there anything that you could value higher than that? And if so, how can you justify it? And if not, then why don't we live like eternal life is the most valuable thing? All of the world will pass away. Good things, bad things, expensive things, loved ones, good-looking people, the Kardashians, hopefully. Yes, even this church building will one day be no more. But when the hands of time stand still, we all have to give an account for the time we were put on this earth. So what will your time say about your choices to live this life? You have one precious life. This is not a PlayStation game. This is not Fortnite for those of you that are addicted to Fortnite. This is not Xbox. This is nothing nothing like that. We don't get to press replay or spawn again somewhere else. Once time is done, it's done. When God calls full stop, it's over. So what will you devote yourselves to in this one precious life? What are you doing with it? And if you don't know what to do with this one precious life, then take heart because God is in the habit of revealing to you what he wants you to do. Praise God. See, Paul summed it up really well in another one of his books, 
Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'll read it for you. You don't have to go there. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. The reason why Paul wants to be devoted to Christ is because he knows the joy it brings. Not just temporal happiness. Remember, he's writing from a prison cell, but a joy that is everlasting. Not that I've already obtained all this or already have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. When I was young, I did what's called the Duke of Edinburgh Award. I don't know if any of you have done it or heard of it. The Duke of Edinburgh Award, when you're about 14 years or so onwards, you can do a bronze, then you do the silver, then you do the gold. As part of that, one of the years I did, uh, you have to learn a new skill. So I was learning sailing. And I don't know if any of you have ever sailed before, but... I learned how to sail. I got to learn what some of the terms were, a mid-sail and a, and a boom and a, and, a, and a jib and a, a spinnaker and, and other terms like Cameron, don't fall off the boat again and stuff like that. Now, as I was doing this, uh, th my, my dad knew the, uh, the deputy principal at my primary school was into racing sailboats and so this was my opportunity to really learn how to do it and I'd never done it before and so I went out there Mr. Smeaton was his name sounds like a deputy principal's name doesn't it Mr. Smeaton he uh he took me out on his boat with his sailing crew they all knew what they were doing I didn't but I pretended like I did and I went out there and I thought beauty I'm gonna I'm gonna nail this in one go I'll be right Anyhow, there were all sorts of instructions and, you know, you had to race out one side and clip on, lean over the boat and then they would tack, just moving direction, I know, how cool am I, uh, but they'd tack the boat so you'd have to run under, the, run over the other side, clip on, lean back. Now, I had, uh, I had Nike cross trainers on. <laughs> they are great when you're playing on grass. They are not good on a wet sailing boat. They are rubbish, in fact. I fell off and banged my knees about, I, I'm, I don't even know, I'm going to say 10,000 times, but I'm not sure if it was that many. But it hurt like crazy. I had blood all up and down. Now, the other thing that you've got to do as you pull uh, like the sails up and down is you've got to use a rope to do that. And everyone else had these like golf gloves on. It was like they had... <laughs> I can do it. I'm tougher than them. And so I was doing this, realized I'd really 
like actually grazed all of my hands and they were burnt and so every time I had to do it I was doing it like this to try and not get the same thing so I was doing that and then I got I got sunburnt like crazy I know it's I didn't think to put sunscreen on because it was overcast and yes I fell in the water quite a number of times they had to loop back around and get me and take me and yes oh gosh did I make myself popular with the crew the problem was our sailing boat that normally came like in the top two or three every time came dead last by a long way and it was completely my fault. Now at the very end of the thing, you know, we sailed into the docks and we did all the things that we should. We cleaned up and 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 Mr. Smeaton relayed everything to my dad and I'm like, oh my goodness. I get into the car, I sit down, I am freezing, like I'm really cold, like because it's been, I'm w- completely wet, apparently you wear waterproof stuff or something, and and I'm drenched, burnt, I've got cuts all over my hands, over my knees, and I'm, I'm just not in a great way. My dad turns to me, <laughs> my dad's such a comedian sometimes, he turns to me, he goes, so, how was your day? <laughs> Now, the funny thing was, I actually turned to him and said, that was the best day ever. I loved it. Yes, I had cut hands and yes, I'd hurt myself and I'd been yelled at more times than most classes. No, that's not true. I get yelled at all the time. No, but I I, I was... I'd had such a great time on this sailing of, you know, going up and down the waves. We were right out in the open ocean. It was fantastic. It was the best fun ever. Now, the reason that I bring up that sailing analogy is a lot of people in this room have their sailing boats and they run them off the little outboard motor that sits at the back and they stay in the safe harbour. And we stay in here and yep, you're on your boat and it's wonderful and it's calm and it's good. But that's not what sailing boats were made to be. The big sailing boats are meant to go out through the heads and go into the rough sea and to, to, to fight against the ocean. That's what they were made to do. They weren't made to sit in Sydney Harbour and say, look at my boat. That's not what they were made to do. And the problem is, I think most of people, and I'm not accusing any of you, I'm looking at me. Most of our Christian life, we just love, oh, yes, come to Jesus, yes, great, fantastic. And they just sit in the harbour, safe. But the most excellent adventure that God wants for you to do is just go, now trust me, come out into the he- out of the headlands. I will take you on a life that's going to get you injured. You're going to get sunburnt. You're going to hurt your knees and you're probably going to fall off. But you know what? I'm still the same Jesus that stands out on the water that says to Peter, come to me. And it is the most excellent adventure that you can go on. You can stay in the safe harbor and God will still accept you in, but go out with him. And that doesn't mean that you need to go to the far reaches of the world. That could be just here. 
but trust him. Step out on the water with him. He still stands on the water and he still calls you out there. Get out of your safe harbour. What are you using this life for? You have 80 trips around a little insignificant sun and then you're gone. That's it. All over. Finished. I use this example to my kids in class. 9-11, biggest event in the world, they say. That's the biggest news event ever. Who talks about it now? No one, except for maybe a memorial or the people that were affected by it. We don't talk about 9-11 anymore. How quickly will you and I be forgotten? What are you using this one precious life for? Are you using it on human things that all pass away? So think for yourself. What are you proud of in life? And what are you devoting yourself in this one precious life? All of this to answer, what would you be willing to lose to gain eternity? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to forgo? Sail out with Jesus into the rough but most awesome adventure you could ever do nothing this world can offer will ever compare to it i took so many years so many years so many wasted years of living for cameron i love god still throws me curveballs but i love that I'm stepping out with him. It's not because I'm great, not at all. It's just in response to what Jesus did on the cross. And I have never been more fulfilled in my life. No accolade I got in any sporting thing ever compared to what it is to be living a life that goes you know what god i don't know what you're doing here but i'm just going to trust you anyway you do not have the opportunity to respawn so what are you using this one precious life for don't waste this life let me pray. Father, we thank you so much, more than anything else, for the death, resurrection of Jesus. We thank you that in him we have salvation that is not earned of our own, own ability or will. Father God, we just give to you our lives would you use us in ways that might never have been 
thought of as imaginable. We ask that you would use every single person in this room, whether they've got theological training or not, that we would step out in faith to live a life that honours you. That we forget what is behind. We forget the things in our life that make us proud that are not you. And we press on to win the goal for which you've called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. May our lives never be wasted. May you use us and shape us every day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.